Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. Our first show in a few weeks. We've got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about the Yankees and how Luis Severino is injured and what they should or should not do to replace him. We're going to talk about one of our favorite relievers, Jose LeClaire, who just got a contract extension with the Rangers. Some very interesting pitching we saw yesterday from St. Louis. Our friend Andrew Simon has some data on Lewis Brinson and Scott Kingery, if they can rebound from disappointing rookie seasons. I have to talk about all the dudes in the Giants bullpen that I find interesting. And finally, because we didn't really get to talk about Harper and Machado signing, we will do that at the very end when we dive into the most interesting and improved teams of the offseason. Who won the offseason? It may not be who you think. That's a lot to talk about. Let's start with the Yankees. Are you worried about Luis Severino's shoulder? I guess the answer has to be a little, but I don't know. I like that he threw one pitch, said it hurt, and then stopped. Like In the olden days, guys would pitch through that and ruin their entire season. I think this is actually a good thing. Then it certainly shows some restraint. I mean, you know, he he definitely tried to downplay today, saying like, "Oh, you know, it felt a little weird, but it's 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 mild. It's good that it happened in spring training. All the things that you say in spring training." And while yeah, there's no, I mean, uh, believe it or not, I'm not a doctor. Um, no, uh, <laughs> and I've not seen any MRIs. Not that I could make any sense of them, even if I did. But like pitcher shoulder injuries, it's always kind of like, ah, you know, it's you never know. It's just it's hard, it's hard to know. It's definitely a uh, you know a big. I would I I would still consider it a big concern because these injuries always seem to be worse than you think they are. And while the Yankees have a lot of upside in their rotation, every one of their main guys has some red flags. Severino had had a kind of red flag. Now he's got a bigger one. Tanaka yep. has been pitching with a partially partially torn UCLA for four years. James Paxton has only topped 130 innings once. Sabathia is you know just a. You know, a, a, a four or five inning pitcher now, and Jay Happ is is, is fine, fine. But don't forget, Severino had a really lousy second half last year. Well, that's that's when I was yeah. when I was saying red flag. That was yeah. kind of what was uh, what was in my mind. So you know, for all the talk about uh, the Red Sox bullpen being this big issue, the Yankees rotation was always a little bit like, okay, they need you know some some health, and now this is the first kind of like, okay, well. This could be a problem. So Brian Hoke, our MLB.com Yankees reporter, talked to Brian Cashman, and here's uh, what his tweet was today. In the wake of Severino's injury, Cashman said the Yankees are focused on going with what they have in-house, uh, meaning Domingo Herman and Johnny Losaiga. Additions are unlikely until after the June draft. So I think everybody on Twitter wants to see the Yankees go out and get Dallas Keuchel or Edwin Jackson or Gio Gonzalez. The last two are pretty uninteresting to me. Like, they're guys. They're fine. I actually think Herman and Losaiga are really interesting. Um, though I, the, uh, the schedule works out too. The Yankees have four days off in the first 19 games and they start off by playing 
Baltimore, the White Sox, Baltimore again. <laughs> you might have like you or me could like start one of those games and it wouldn't matter. I think, you know, obviously a long term concern about not having their ace is a problem. But I don't think I would rush out and just get like Gio Gonzalez. I just, he's just not interesting to me. No, he's 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 really not. Um, he's just not he's just not that good. Uh, neither is Edwin Jackson. I mean, the only one of these players who would really make a difference, and frankly, they could use some reliability, is Dallas Keuchel. The reason why the Yankees aren't going to sign Dallas Keuchel beard because uh, of the beard. Well, that, that's that's <laughs> one. But uh, they kind of sneakily went over the competitive balance threshold this offseason. Apparently, the DJ LeMahieu deal is what did it. Was it, oh. was, it was the ultimate like. So they're paying the luxury tax. So if they have to, if they sign Keuchel, it's basically like twice as much. When every dollar they spend him is almost like two, two you know, a dollar fifty on the dollar or whatever. I don't know what the tax is exactly because they're now a first time offender because they went back under it. And so they'd be paying a big luxury tax bill. And then also, if you look ahead to next year, their projected payroll right now is like you know, one fifty five, one sixty. So let's say. They go and sign Keuchel, and you know, uh, luxury tax purposes, it's based on AAV of the deal. So let's say he gets an average of fifteen or eighteen million per year. You're adding another fifteen million to next year, and then if you want to go sign a free agent next year, you're running the risk of going up against the luxury tax again in 2020. So even though Keuchel's actually the kind of guy they think they actually need in a weird way, that's that's not happening. It, it seems unlikely. Like for me, you know. The Twins should be signing Keuchel, or the Mets, or the Braves, I think. Like, those are the teams where he could probably make a big difference. I'm sort of torn on this idea that, you know, a reliable 200-ish inning average to slightly above average guy is useful. But also, I don't think he's... like I know he won a Cy Young a couple years ago, but that's just not what the numbers say anymore. Last year, uh, he had a 17.5% strikeout rate. That's the lowest of his career. And remember, he wasn't exactly, like, ever a strikeout guy to start with. Uh, that was 119th of the 140 pitchers with 100 innings. He has 7th percentile fastball velocity, 7th, uh, 19th percentile fastball spin. Obviously, he's a sinker ball kind of guy. 70th percentile hard hit, which is good. It's above average, uh, but it's not elite. And 67th percentile expected weighted on base, which I think actually makes a lot of sense, right? I would say he's, you know, a two-thirds type pitcher. Like, one-third of pitchers are better, and he's better than two-thirds. That sounds perfect to me. Well, it's, it's, and he's been remarkably consistent the last three years. If you go by his FIP, fielding independent pitching, last year he was 369. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, it's scaled to ERA, so it's just kind of supposed to be on the, the same the same measure of what's good and not. So last year he was 369. The year before that, 379. The year before that, 387. The thing about like a guy like Keiko is like this class of pitcher doesn't really ex- exist anymore. Like the classic innings eater, this right. like slightly above average guy who will throw 200 innings, they don't really exist. You're either like dominant for 150 innings, you're like Scherzer or Degrom, or you just like don't have a job. And it's interesting because I would like Keiko on my in my rotation this year and maybe next year, but probably not much beyond that. I mean, he's the kind of guy where you know he's already sort of lost some ground ball skill, already lost some strikeout skill. The velocity can't really drop much more. Like there's, there is a floor here that I don't think I want to see, and I'm actually way more interested in Herman and Luis Aga. And if you didn't actually know how the Yankees got these guys, it's kind of an interesting story. Uh, Herman was a Marlins prospect who they got in the Nathan Evaldi Martin Prado deal uh, back in 2014. Johnny Luis Aga was released by the Dominican Summer League Giants in 2015, uh, mostly due to injury and. After a year, or excuse me, after a couple months, the next year, he was signed to a minor league deal by the Yankees. And those guys are both kind of interesting. If you look, for example, uh, last year, this is, I think, really cool about Domingo Herman. 173 pitchers through 80 innings. And if you look at the top 10 list of swinging strike rates, listen to these names. Number one, Josh Hader. 
number two Trinan, Scherzer, Sale, Corbin Carrasco, DeGrom, Blake Snell, Domingo Herman at number nine, just above uh, Justin Verlander, Kenta Maeda, James Paxton, Garrett Cole, Tanaka, and Syndergaard. That is a list you cannot fake your way into. Now, he did have a 557 ERA last year, uh, you know, had a little bit of a home run problem. I'm not saying he's all of a sudden going to be a star, but he's really interesting. And like, that's, that's kind of what I want if I'm the Yankees. I want some of that upside because I think that's what they need. We have mild breaking-ish news. Oh, I yes. just got an alert on okay. my phone. Not breaking-ish. This isn't really news, but it's it's relevant to exactly what we're talking about. Uh, apparently, uh, John Heyman is reporting that uh, Keiko has been in touch with the Astros and the Phillies. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he wants a short-term deal. Or maybe they want a short-term deal. They want a short-term deal. The way this, yeah. uh, the way this alert is, is phrased is uh, a little awkward. As, return to the Astros does make a, yeah. does make a lot of sense. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, think, I mean, to me, I, your point is taken. I think that Herman is the guy that you'll probably see get, get the reps. And as you also noted earlier, they could probably get through basically the month of April, assuming everyone else stays healthy. Big risk. Without, without needing uh, another starter. The problem is if you're or the, what they're gonna, problem they're going to run into is if you're already having to kind of baby Severino this year, and in your mind you already went into the season thinking, I might want to baby Paxton, and I might need to build in some cushion for Tanaka – then it's sort of like, okay, where are these innings going to come from? You know, Herman, Losaga, maybe Luis Sessa gets a spot start here and there. They, I mean, they have some They have some depth. This all leads to like a June 28th trade for Robbie Ray or something like that, which is perfectly fine. Uh, there was a contract extension this morning. Jose Leclerc, a uh, 25-year-old reliever for the Rangers, signed a four-year deal. Uh, so that's covering the four remaining years of his team control for just under $15 million, and then also has two team options over his free agency. Uh, I don't know if enough people know how good Jose Leclerc is. I think we've been talking about him for a while. He is awesome. He's so good. Well, it's funny. This, this, this morning, you you made some reference. Like, I guess apparently I wrote about him in 2017. Yes. I have a strong... I have a strong... I did. I um, actually copied and pasted it right here. I have a strong recollection of this, mostly because I've always been, as listeners of this show, probably... Uh, uh, can attest to. I'm always interested in guys with really high fast, forcing fastball spin rates, and yes. he's always. So whenever I look at those leaderboards, he's always at the top. He is awesome because he is exactly what a high four seam fastball spin guy should be. Okay, so he has 99th percentile four seam fastball spin. Right, there is almost nobody in baseball with a higher spin rate. So what's he like? He's like average like 26, 2700, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's really really high. Um, what I really like about this is, okay, what are the two things you expect from a guy who's got great four-seam spin and a lot of rise? You'd expect swing strikes, and you'd expect pop-ups, right? And that's exactly what he does. He has 98th percentile strikeout rate and elite pop-up rate. There were over 630 guys last year who allowed 25 batted balls. His 19% pop-up rate was tied for third behind Ryan Buchter, who we've talked about on the show before, and Sean Doolittle, right? It's like the best combination. If you think of pop-ups as essentially strikeouts, which they more or less are because they never turn into damage, uh, that is what he's done. Last year, he had a 156 ERA in 57 and two-thirds innings, an 85 to 25 strikeout to walk rate. Not enough guy, people know who he is. I actually ranked him pretty high on my uh, top 10 list for MLB Network last month. I had him sixth behind Hader, Diaz, Trinan, Batantis, and Doolittle. Um, I did, of course, sneak Ryan Presley on the list. But as Matt said, I did write about him in May of 2017 uh, and almost certainly talked about him on the podcast that week two years ago. So if you've been listening for that long, congratulations. You knew about Jose Leclerc. This is how you make high spin work for you. Interesting interesting to note that I'm looking at Mike's top 10 lists of uh, relief pitchers. And I think that the you know many fans would probably do a triple take seeing Jose, Jose Leclerc ranked ahead of uh, the, the, the three pitchers behind him are Aroldis Chapman, Craig Kimbrell, 
and Kenley Jansen. Yes. So, and I'm not criticizing him because Kimball, to me, is fascinating. He's remained on the free agent market, and I think with good reason because I think teams have gotten so much smarter. They're not saying it used to be in free agency you would reward guys for their last three seasons. Teams now know we're going to pay you for what we think you're going to do for your next three seasons. And that doesn't mean they don't think Craig Kimbrell's going to be bad in his next three seasons. It just suggests that, and I wouldn't shock me, that there's a large disconnect between what Kimbrell thinks he should be paid and what teams yes. are projecting him to be worth. My question about this is, so he's a reliever. Every team needs a deep bullpen. So in theory, all 30 teams could make room for a very good reliever in their bullpen. It's not like, oh, we have a catcher already, we have a first baseman already, whatever. But I'm not sure if he is willing to not be a closer, and if he's not, I'm not sure how many current closers are willing to not be a closer. Like, let's say the Dodgers, for example. They could absolutely use another reliever. But is Jansen going to move out of the ninth? I don't know. Is Kimbrell? I also don't know. So is that a roadblock? I don't have the answer to that. It's just kind of a thought question. No, it, def- it, it definitely is. And that, that was like, uh, you know, I had suggested on Twitter that the Mets should be in on him. And, like, I got a bunch of response, like, LOL, like, where's he going to pitch? It's kind of like – Well, the mound probably. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no question he's much better than whatever, like, you know, 4A guy they're going to give 60 innings to. Um, and I guess the idea is that maybe, you know, Edwin Diaz would balk at not being able to close. But and that's to me in that situation, Edwin, you know – Kimball becomes the closer, and Edwin Dean becomes kind of like the classic Andrew Miller guy, which, you know, Mickey Calloway is familiar with. Um, but, hey, uh, that's not going to happen. But if you're, if, to me, the idea is if you're in the Mets at this point with the, what the other teams in that division have done, you need to do something to kind of actually, like, make a real counter to the uh, improvements, especially that the Phillies have made with, you know, adding Bryce Harper. Well, we are going to get to that at the end when I shock everybody by saying how much the Mets have or have not improved. But you did mention Andrew Miller. Uh, I saw Andrew Miller pitch yesterday. I, I understand there is a very, very limited utility to what you can get from spring training baseball. I would be happy if the season started tomorrow. However, the Cardinals game yesterday on Tuesday against the Phillies, I found to be absolutely fascinating. It was really cool if you just look at the St. Louis pitching. So here's the guys who pitched. Uh, Jack Flaherty, who in four innings struck out nine guys, including seven in a row at one point. Uh, Andrew Miller, who is obviously has been one of the best relievers in baseball. Jordan Hicks and Alex Reyes, and then two other guys, but they're not important right this second. That is a really, really interesting group. And if you look at what happened, so like I said, Flaherty, right? Nine strikeouts in four innings looked awesome. Jordan Hicks, uh, <laughs> this is a quote from Jason Stark here, unfurled 11 fastballs clocked at 101, 103, 103, 102, 103, 102, 103, 99. He must have been taking a rest. 100, 102, and 103. And then Alex Reyes came in and hit 98 miles an hour, which the, is awesome. The most impressive thing about Hicks, which also amazing, is he struck out four in one inning of work. Ah, uh, yes, he did. <laughs> um, were the sliders. The Pitching Ninja did a reel on yeah. Twitter of like the sliders that Hicks was throwing and like if he can harness that slider the way he looked yesterday, he will he will be near the top of your early pitching rankings next there year. There are a lot of things I like about Jordan Hicks, and near the top of that list is that his mom follows me on Twitter <laughs> and likes pretty much anything I say about the Cardinals. Uh, but you're right. like he, I, I remember last year, the first thing we knew about him was, oh, my God, this guy's hitting 104. And then it was, oh, he's not striking anybody out. What's happening? Because it it's a two-seamer. Like he was getting ground balls. And then for like a brief three- or four-week stretch, he had the slider going. And just destroyed everybody. And if we see that guy again, I mean, the NL Central is a very complicated division to me. Um, you know, the Cubs won 95 games last year, and everybody thought it was the end of the world, and now Pakota thinks they might be a last-place team. And I'm kind of into the Cardinals, maybe more than Cardinal fans are, because they have all seem pretty down on the team right now. Well, I mean, the Cardinals, you know, it's like they've they've had winning seasons the last three years, but they haven't made the playoffs. So, like, that kind of drought for uh, St. Louis is kind of a big deal, and they've seen – 
you know, the Cubs kind of take over the mantle of like the kind of mini dynasty in that division. So I can see it, but it's, I, to me, that's actually the most interesting division in baseball. Oh, yeah. I know they, they, I mean, NL East is interesting in its own way, but the NL East still has one team that's, you know, totally rebuilding. Whereas even like whatever, you, whatever you want to say about the Pirates, they're still a competitive team. Yeah, there's, they, no, there's no kind they, of like they, gimme, there's no gimme games in that division. No, I, I think the problem with the Pirates is they had a pretty disappointing winter. They didn't do much. Yeah, but that rotation is still pretty good. They still have Starling Marte. You know, they still have some competent guys. And like you know, Polanco's was hurt, but he was really good last year and he was healthy. So he's kind of there's there's definitely some yeah. like there's intrigue around that team. They may have Newman and Kramer starting at the same time, <laughs> which is like the most important thing. But like if I had to sit here today. Uh, I know, like we constantly underrate the Brewers. I think I'd pick the Cardinals, but I also feel like that is going to change for me like six more times before the season starts. Because like the Cubs are still really good. I still think Chris Bryant is going to be an MVP candidate this year. I know he had the shoulder issue last year. Seems like he's healthy now. He's going to be awesome. You know, it's they're but they were quiet, and that was kind of a bummer. But they're still really good. Yes, for sure. Um, our friend uh, Andrew Simon wrote about two very disappointing rookies last year: Scott Kingery. Uh, did not do very well for the Phillies. And Lewis, Br- Lewis Brinson uh, really had a rough year for the Marlins. Last year, Brinson hit 199, 240, 338, and Kingery hit 226, 267, 338. They were both replacement level or worse, which is not what you want from two very highly touted prospects. Now, One of whom got a like a seven-year contract extension. Yes. Open the year last and year. One, and the other who has been uh, the focal point of two pretty big trades. And I know, as I said, you can't take anything away from spring training stats. I don't want to. However, Lewis Brinson already has five home runs in his first eight games. And I don't know if you've seen them all. They have been blasts. He has murdered them. It's well, been cool. I mean, the 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 the, the, uh, the raw tools have always been there. You know, as Andrew notes, he's a 95th percentile in sprint speed and 29.4 feet per second with 30, being, 30 feet per second being like the absolute uh, elite. So, you know, with Brinson, you know the tools are there. The question is sort of like – turning them into, you know, usable u- right. usable skills. So what Andrew did, and I thought this was kind of cool, is he wanted to find out, um, have there ever been players who have had a debut this miserable who have actually ended up turning it around? And if so, who? So the way he did this was he looked back uh, at the 20 seasons from 1991 to 2010, and he found 84 no longer active rookies who posted an OPS plus of 70 or lower in at least 200 plate appearances at age 25 or younger. So both of these guys would have qualified for that last year. Uh, 25 of those uh, 84 players, so 30%, got at least 2,500 more plate appearances. So that's something. You don't get that many plate appearances if you don't figure something out. 16 of them, 19%, produced at least 10 more, uh, 10 wins above replacement over the rest of their careers. And 8 of them, 10%, posted an OPS plus of at least 100 or average over the rest of their careers. So it is possible. It's certainly not guaranteed. And he pulled out five really good examples. These, well, these are actually different. These are these are more recent examples. Yes, they're from a, from a separate pool of right. samples. Um, the, the more recent examples he pulled out were Jackie Bradley, who had a 49 OPS plus in 2014. Uh, I, I don't know that we've talked about Jackie Bradley enough. He's like super high in my breakout player list this year. He's going to be awesome this year. I guarantee it. Uh, Javier Baez had a 52 OPS plus in 2014. Remember, he swung through everything. Uh, Aaron Hicks. With the Twins, had a 63. Remember, 100 is league average. Now he's a star. Marwin Gonzalez uh, had a 65 in 2012. And Brian Dozier, I kind of forgot about this, had a 67 OPS plus in 2012. So it is possible to come up and have such a rough introduction and turn it around. It's not it's not what you want, you know, but you can do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I would think if for someone like Brinson, you know, you'd want to look at someone like Baez as kind of the, the comp. You know, just incredible bat speed and strength but not a lot of plate discipline so sort of be able to like sort of thread that needle of like well i'm gonna be aggressive aggressive as anyone but if i'm gonna make enough contact to get to it and then i can 
I can uh, become an impact player. Because, I mean, Javi, Javi Baez, I mean, he, to me, he actually kind of snuck up on me as, like, an actual good player. I feel like for a few years he was just like, oh, this guy's fun. And then I was like, oh, wait, actually, he's an elite play. He was more of, like, a novelty with, like, his yeah, his, so his tag. Flashy and, like, and, and, you know, but, like, then it was like, oh, wow, no, he's he's He was really a legit good. MVP candidate last year. Whereas, like, you know, Aaron Hicks is kind of a different where he became this, like, really patient guy who draws a lot of walks and actually tapped into uh, a little bit of – a little bit of power, so it is. It is a. Um, it is you know encouraging for uh, Brinson and Kingry. I think you know I'm, I'm trying to wonder why you know looking at this original list that you have of uh, the 84 players. I wonder how much of that is like guys who probably were like called up too soon, who were like called up like when they were like 19, yeah, which is totally were not ready for the majors. Well, it's interesting with Kingry because he did get that contract like what right before opening day last yeah, like, year. Two days. It was like the Saturday and before opening day. Th- it's likely that is the reason he was on the opening day roster and probably stayed in the big leagues all year long. Because otherwise, you could have easily seen him, you know, being demoted. Obviously, the Phillies were kind of a mess last year roster wise. But I was surprised he never did get sent back down. He still had he still had options. I'm almost certain. I yeah, think yeah, he still yeah. does. Yeah, exactly. He might have. I mean, like given the the additions they made this year, I guess it's possibly gets option this year. Uh, I mean, unlikely. I mean, he's he's you know they still have Franco at third. They have Segura at short. They still have Hernandez at second. Uh, now they have Harper, Herrera, and uh, McCutcheon in the outfield. So he's not going to start anywhere. But I guess the idea is he plays a different spot every day. I don't that's know fair. if that's good for his development. I mean, I think that might have been part of the issue last year. Uh, and you know, I have Hoskins at first now, and like what Nick Williams is in the outfield, and Altair and Roman Quinn. There's not a lot of plate appearances for him, which. I guess that's good for the Phillies. It means they got a lot of better players. Uh, we're going to get back to that in a second. Here's a question for you. Uh, the Giants are probably not going to be that good this year uh, because of their outfield is sub, sub, sub replacement. But I can't stop thinking about how interesting their bullpen is. And, you know, maybe this isn't going to be a good question because you now have the list in front of you. <laughs> how many Giants relievers could you have named before you read my story or looked at this list that's in front of you? Uh, I want to say four. You would have definitely named uh, Mark Melanson. You'd have definitely named Tony Watson. Uh, you would have probably named Will Smith, I guess. And who's the fourth? I would have named uh, Ray Black just because he throws okay. really hard. Okay. But you would have forgotten about Sam Dyson. Yes. And you probably wouldn't have uh, remembered Reyes Maranta. No. I'm, I'm not going to forget him now. Melvin Adon <laughs> or Pat Venditti. Okay. Here's the point. Um I don't know how good the Giants are going to be. They're probably going to be fourth or fifth place. But this bullpen could be kind of good. And at the very least, it's super, super interesting. I wrote about this the other day, and uh, I think it's kind of worth getting into here. If you look at the top of this bullpen, there were four guys who were actually pretty good last year. Smith, Watson, uh, Maranta, and Dyson. You know, and like Watson and Dyson are kind of the same flavor of good they've been for many years now. Dyson's like an extreme ground baller. Uh, Watson's a good lefty. Will Smith had missed like the entire previous year due to Tommy John surgery. And I'm not sure... (laughs) <laughs> you realize how good he was last year because the Giants were out of it so early. There were 358 pitchers who faced 200 batters last year. And if we look at weighted on base average, Will Smith was the sixth best best pitcher in the game on a list where Blake Trinan, I, Jose Leclerc, Edwin Diaz, and Josh Hader were the top four. I'm actually kind of shocked Will Smith hasn't been traded yet, but I assume he will be before the end of the year. Reyes Maranza was a rookie last year. He was ninth best on this list. The Giants had two top 10 relievers last year. Neither of them were Mark Lanson. Uh, he was ninth best just behind Adam Adovino. He's got a 97-mile-an-hour average fastball, which is 95th percentile, 93rd percentile spin, and a 98th percentile in hard hit rate. He was really, really good. And when I tweeted about this, I got all sorts of Giants fans saying, oh, yeah, we know about the reyes Maranta experience. Cool. I think most people didn't know about him. He was really good. So those are like the four guys who I think just last year were objectively very good. 
They also have two guys who have previously been good. Mark Melanson was at one point an elite closer. Lots of injuries. Yeah, like a $60 million deal. Yeah, the same year Jansen and Kim, uh, yeah, uh, Chapman yeah. got theirs. And yeah, that has not worked out. He's been hurt. You know, he's now saying, best shape of my life. My arm feels great. Yada, yada, yada. He's not going to be the closer, but he could be good. And they got Nick Vincent on a minor league deal, uh, which was really interesting to me. I'm not sure why Seattle let him go, actually. Over the last two years, his expected weighted on base, which accounts for quality of contact and amount of contact, is equal to Ross Stripling, Alex Colome, and Archie Bradley, who were all really good. Uh, two years ago, Jeff Sullivan, who just got hired by the Rays, by the way, which is awesome. Jeff's a good friend. The Rays are so much fun to watch. That's really, really cool. Uh, wrote a, f- a post at Fangraphs with the title, The Other Most Unhittable Fastball where the other one was Araldis Chapman, and he was talking about Nick Vincent, who is still like a perfectly competent major league reliever. Uh, the Giants have him on a minor league deal. The reasons that really like drew me to the Giants in the first place are these next three guys, sort of like failed or struggling prospects who are trying to get better through interesting methods and technology, uh, which, as you've seen across every big league camp, everyone's talking about Rep Soto and Edratronic and trying to use data to improve. It's really cool to see how quickly that's happened. Ray Black, as Matt just mentioned, 99th percentile fastball velocity, 99th percentile fastball spin, 99th percentile curveball spin. That is, <laughs> that's the good stuff. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's fun to watch. Uh, his, you know, he's has struggled in the minors, you know, injuries, throwing strikes, whatever. Um, but he kind of finally came up last year, uh, hit, you know, threw strikes enough and missed a lot of bats. So he's really interesting, and he's just so much fun to watch. Um, Tyler Beatty, you know, he's struggled a bit since he was a first-round pick. I think he had, like, two bad starts last year, got moved to the bullpen, uh, and then this year changed his curve grip, massively upped his spin rate. That's really cool. And, like, how many, like, you know, high draft pick pitchers have we seen who sort of just, like, kind of bounce around as starters for a while and then get tried out as relievers and end up being awesome? I I don't want to always say Andrew Miller, but Andrew Miller is, like, the perfect example Uh, of a guy like that. Adam Adovino was a first-round pick. Well, there you go. Exactly right. (laughs) I'm sure, like, if we we took some time, we could come up with, like, a dozen. And and a lot of it's about velocity. Uh, Mark Melanson? Was he a starter? Actually, I think he was a reliever, but still, it took him a while. Yeah. we, you know, we always talk about, like, go to the pen, increase your velocity, whatever. But I think a really underrated part of going to the pen is exactly what Tyler Beatty did. He used to have six pitches, and he dumped his three last, three bad ones. So now he's focusing just on the three pitches that work for him. Uh, he told The Athletic, and I quote, more information has done a world of good for me. And then finally, Ty Block. And yes, I know, Black, Block, and Beatty. I'm never going to be able to keep these three guys straight. Uh, he has kind of been kicking around as like a mediocre fist starter for a while uh he told mlb.com this offseason i was working on making my slider better it's always kind of blended with my curveball so i worked with our analytics guy michael schwartz a lot he's really helped me to understand the spin the rotation 30 teams this year you will find 10 different guys talking about understanding their spin and the rotation it's really cool to see but wait there's more i said this team was endlessly interesting they have a rule five pick travis bergen uh, in parts of four seasons in the minors for Toronto, a 127 ERA and 114 strikeouts. I know I'm scouting the stat line. I can't say I know anything about Travis Bergen. Interesting. Oh, they have an ambidextrous pitcher, Pat Venditti. He's kind of old news. Still, he's really interesting. If you heard of Melvin Adon before, I don't know, 10 minutes ago, you're lying to me? No, you probably heard about him like four days ago on Twitter when people were like, who the heck is this guy throwing yes, 102 for the right. Giants? He was a starter, uh, got moved to relief last fall, struck out 21 in 12 and a third Arizona Fall League innings. On March 3rd, he hit 99 miles an hour nine times, topping out 102.1. That's right, he throws as hard as Ray Black does. And also, there's a whole bunch of other guys who've kind of kicked around, had some success, like uh, Derek Law has been okay. Fernando Abed's been around for a while. Chris Stratton hasn't actually been any good, 
but over the last two seasons, the only guys with a higher curveball spin rate are, wait for it, drum roll, Ryan Presley, and Seth Lugo. That's pretty good company. And I think he's also he's another like first round pick. I think. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Like having high spin obviously does not immediately make you successful. Uh, but they did hire Matt Daniels from Driveline to try to improve these guys. Anyway, this could be a case where this they are going to be a victim of their own success. Where if these guys are actually good, half of them will be on other teams in three months. So the late season San Francisco bullpen may not be good or interesting. But I can say that the early season San Francisco bullpen is going to be kind of fascinating. And if you think about it, you know, still have Posey at catcher. The infield is full of veteran guys with talent. Uh, you know, the rotation is a little iffy, but Bumgarner, Samarja. If they'd done anything in the outfield whatsoever, they could have been like a competent team. And I, I just, yeah, I guess they could still go get Adam Jones and Carlos Gonzalez. Fine. There's nobody in that outfield. And it's endlessly frustrating to me. And that is the end of my Giants. <laughs> Agree? Do you think the... Giants will be finished last in the NOS this year. It's really hard to say because a lot of these teams, like if they don't get off to a good start, you know, are they going to sell off Bumgarner? You know, are they going to trade anybody who's good? I will say right now, yes, I think so. But then again, I keep looking at that Padres rotation and it's going to be San Diego and San Francisco four or five. I'll tell you that. It's the year Perdomo. This, yes, this it finally is the year Perdomo. They've got, uh, He's got um, a better better defensive infield, Machado at third. It's uh, If they have Machado at third and Urias at shortstop, right, whenever he comes up, that's really good. I mean Tatis. Uh, excuse me. Tat- well, oh, no, Urias at second. Yeah. At least Urias. Yes, Tatis at short, Urias at second, Ian Kinsler doing whatever he, he's going to do. Uh, and, you know, some people think Hosmer's a good defensive first baseman. Margot in center field, like, that's a fun defense. And, of course, we've talked about Franchi and Fran Mill. Like, I'm going to watch a lot of San Diego baseball, but – uh, I'm not going to focus on the pitching staff. That yeah, much. the uh, the the pitching is uh, is a bit rough. So I could see why the the, the and the, is you, and the Giants like have enough. Like, you know, it's it's not impossible to see you know guys like Longoria bouncing back a little bit and giving a little bit more. And you don't really Crawford, know. Right? You, don't, you don't really know what you're getting from Posey. So there's there's I don't want to say there's like a wide error bar on their team because I don't think the ceiling is actually that high. But I think there's a wire there's a bar that goes from like eighty six wins down to like sixty six wins. Um, yeah, you could see it kind of being okay and then not okay. Well, you could, well, the thing is the 66 win scenario is Bumgarner gets traded. Yeah. Some of these guys get hurt. Cause the, the thing about the other guys, Bumgarner is the only one that might potentially really have trade value because Longoria well, and Crawford have big deals and oh, Posey's oh, not, and Posey's not going anywhere. N- and nobody's going to trade. For same with, and same with Samarja and like, so it's like, and then the bullpen too. Like if they trade Will Smith and Tony Watson and you know, some of these guys and, and those guys would have trade value, but the te- obviously the present value of the team would, right. uh, Take a dip. Finally, who won the winter? That is always a fun question to ask at this time of the year. And the trick about it is there is never an actual correct answer because it's impossible to know. So I wanted to try to get to a semi-correct answer. And the way I did this is I went back to the Fangraphs 2019 projections as of early November. I forget what I said, November 6th or something like that. And that's an important date because it was after all the free agents had been taken off of the team. So on that date, if you were to look at 2019 projections, you would see things like, you know, the Braves had no really didn't really have a third baseman, I guess, you know, Camargo, but all these teams had big holes that you knew they were going to fill. And I compared those to the projections of just a couple of days ago. And so that's really what I wanted to know who improved the most. And I found it kind of interesting. Like the, uh, the two teams tied at the most, uh, who had improved the most by adding eight wins in projections, uh, the Phillies and the Yankees. I thought that was cool. The Phillies make a lot of sense, right? Like it's not just Harper, McCutcheon, Segura, uh, you know, Robertson, right? Like they have made a lot of moves this winter. I thought the Yankees were kind of cool because I feel like 
Yankee fans think because they didn't get Harper or Machado, uh, the whole winter was kind of a flaming disaster. Is it possible the Yankees are underrated right now? Because I think they might be the best team in baseball. Because well, the other thing else you have to keep in mind, though, too, is like on November 6th, when they took the free agents off, they Zach, no Br- rot- Zach, Zach Britton came off. Yes. He had previously been on the team. Well, the rotation. And Jay Happ came off. And Sabathia. So, exactly. So my so, po- and they didn't have Paxton yet. I think at the time, their three, four, five starters were actually like Herman, uh, Justice Sheffield, and like Luis Sessa. So, it's a little deceiving because when you re sign your own guys, it doesn't feel like you're really right. at anything. Right. But like, so the, it's, it's important to remember that like those guys had come off come off the book, so to speak. I, I, but you're totally right about that. I remember a couple years ago where the Dodgers, uh, their big moves were they re signed Justin Turner, Rich Hill, and Kenley Jansen. They spent, you know, over $100 million or whatever to sign all these guys. And the fans were like, oh, so it's the same team? It's like, no, those guys are really good and you brought them back. But I think you're absolutely right. Uh, what's interesting to me is most of these teams on this list that improved the most started from a, you know, 70s or, or 80s win total. Well, the Yankees started from a 90-win projection. So to go from 90 wins to eight to 98 wins, as they are projected for currently, uh, is actually massively impressive. So there were uh, the Yankees and Phillies were tied at the top with plus eight wins. The third-place team, I think, also makes sense. It's the Reds. They are projected uh, that they've improved by six wins. That makes sense. They made a lot of moves. Uh, you know, they got Puig and they got Alex Wood. Uh, they got Roark and Matt Kemp. You know, they, they did a, a Sonny Gray. They did a pretty good job of improving. I still don't think it's enough. I don't think that they are better than the fourth place team in that division, but they have improved. They are projected to be an 81 win team. And then there were three teams all tied at plus three, uh, the Braves, Brewers, and Twins. The Braves got Josh Donaldson. That's pretty nice. I still didn't really like their offseason that much. The pitching staff is terrifying to me now that everybody's getting hurt. Um, You know, the Brewers and Twins made some nice additions. What about the teams that stood out to you? There's, there's, I think, a pair of teams that stood out to me. it's kind of interesting that the Mets are only plus one. They were an 83-win projected team in November, and they're an 84-win projected team now. They made a lot of moves. Uh, do you buy that? I mean, it still kind of feels right to me that they're like an 84, 85-ish win team. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense to me. What's a little weird to me, and like you wrote about this in your piece, is sort of like, you know, the reason why this is the case is because like, the other teams in our division improve, so those kind of wins have to come at the expense of someone. Right, and, and it's not all the Marlins. Yeah. But I guess to me it is a little weird that the Braves would go up three and the Mets would only go up one. Like I feel like the Mets did a lot more to address depth and shoring up. Like the, the Braves had one guy who's coming off an injury play here. I think he's projected Donaldson for like a four and a half wins. Okay, then, then, I guess so that, that, that must be it. So the, the projections think, to like. I also think for the Mets, um, if you think about it, like yeah, they added depth, but they also took value away from some of the guys. Like Jeff McNeil is probably projected to be less valuable now than he was because he's That's not going to get as many plate appearances. That's I fair. think it's the same thing for the Cardinals. They're, they're projected to be plus one, and you know they got Paul Goldschmidt, who's awesome, but then you move Matt Carpenter to third, and then you move like you know Jose Martinez to the bench or right field or whatever. That's fair. These things are all connected. And again, these are all projections yes. when all said and done. But uh, I thought it was interesting. Like The Phillies made a ton of sense, and the Yankees, I think, are surprising to people. But I don't know. The Yankees... They had a good off season, just not the off season people wanted. I think that's the way I put it. And you know, given the base, depending on the severity of Severino's injury, they might actually be. You might have to kind of knock down their projections uh, a little bit mentally. Yeah. Uh, from maybe, maybe, maybe actually, maybe the Phillies actually are the, the clear winners of the off season, so to speak. Well, remember, this is just the unofficial like won the off season rankings. This is not a list of who's good and who's bad. Like the the Dodgers and the Red Sox, I think we're both at either zero or minus one. It doesn't mean they are bad teams. It just means that they were really good and brought back pretty much the same teams. Their off seasons may have been uninteresting, uh, but they're still like incredibly talented teams projected to do well. I was a little surprised the Padres were only up plus two, yeah. bringing in Machado because I figured Machado was a four to five win projection. But I guess 
the the follow up to that is it ends up pushing so it, it was, makes their outfield much more crowded I guess and it, they had at the time Will Myers maybe playing third base so not great but literally who else was going to do it in November uh, but yes that pushes him out to right field and that takes some playing time away from uh, like uh, Hunter Renfro you know some of the other guys out there so I think that maybe hurts them by like a win even still it's largely about the fact that the pitching hasn't upgraded so this wasn't really a move for them for this year either and I thought it was interesting the Cubs and the Astros uh, were both at plus zero and people are kind of upset about that it still means they're really good teams it's like the Cubs did almost literally nothing and what did the Astros do they signed Michael Brantley which is cool um, but that was it the Cubs had a weird, maybe had the weirdest offseason of any team. Because, like, you would yeah. think if only, like, there is something to be said for the idea of, like, making a move just to, like, excite the fans a little bit, sell some tickets, and get do, people, like... Do anything. Brad yeah. Rock is not that guy. Yeah, so it's just uh, <laughs> to really kind of do nothing. And, like, they've got a good team, so I get why they wouldn't necessarily want to go go nuts. But uh, it's it definitely looks odd in context with the rest of that division where a couple of teams may, you know, the Reds obviously were very active. Yeah. The Brewers brought in Grandal, which was like a really, really shrewd move. So it's uh, Cardinals got Goldschmidt and Miller. Exactly. Oh yeah, the, the Cardinals, them, them too. So it's uh, it feels a little weird in the context of that, but um, yeah. Well, that is our show for this week. Uh, this is the MLB.com Stackcast podcast. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>